Welcome back to Reads for Resistance, Chapter 2 of Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. And one thing that we did talk about this week that was kind of left over from last week was it was so nice to have the history of America and basically the attitude shaped towards Asian immigrants here. And for me, that was like mind blowing that they, America, the government, basically cut off all immigration to America from Asia and was like, no. And I think that's so funny because when we're taught in school, America's the melting pot, everyone can come. And then we look at policy and it's like, no. People that you wanted to come, people in power who felt like the other people would be able to come. I guess the better way to say that the people in power chose who was able to come and get this American dream. Mm -hmm. And I just love growing older and learning more about the country. It's just so great. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So chapter two talks about stand up. I love what she did with this chapter because she uses stand-up comedy, which I don't think I've ever read a book about stand-up comedy mentioned at all. And she uses it and talks about how Richard Pryor was a comedian, but he also was an artist and he was revolutionary. He was saying things in his jokes that was not what that was the main experience of black people in America, but was not being talked about and how, I was thinking of it is it's really interesting because when you go to a comedy club, you go there to listen, right? Like this person has a microphone and they're going to speak. And most, Mm -hmm. most comedians who are really great at their jobs, they speak truth, right? It's relatable. And so for someone to use that as an art form and share the awfulness of racial injustices, I think that's really beautiful and dope because Mm -hmm. those audience members not audience members well yeah those audience members and those spectators they're coming for a show right but you're allowing them into your perspective and hopefully if they're not horrible they're gaining empathy for your perspective right they're gaining a more understanding maybe they don't have any friends that look like you but they like you they paid to see you and now they're learning more about your experience and I think that's a beautiful um beautiful way to learn I Mm -hmm. think because when you're laughing people are happy right if something's funny you guys are all joining in on like oh everything's so funny and laughter is universal and so I think that's really smart to use something that's so happy and universal like everyone wants to laugh everyone wants to have a good time and then use it to educate Mm -hmm. to increase empathy Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and then also I think she uses it also because she says like she's also an artist right she's a poet and poetry is such a it's very niche market right it's like you don't write novels you write poetry and mostly great poetry in my opinion is about your experiences about what's happening in life it's about the things that you see just beautifully written and Mm -hmm. gives you awesome imagery 
And so for her as an Asian American poet, like all of the things that she can bring to life that we haven't heard before or that we haven't heard um, in those words or even that experience, which I think is dope. And Lacey, you are a Asian American woman and you also do poetry. So Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to see your thoughts about this chapter in particular and if your experience has been similar to hers um i think this is the chapter where she um where she talks about how she's she's in these educational spaces of like she's a great poet she's next to other great poets but it's still reviewed differently and like she even talks about how a fellow, I guess, classmate? Yeah. Leaves a pretty wild um, review. Yeah. On one of her essays. And they eventually found out who it was. And she was like, yeah, I kind of had a feeling it was him. I was like, bro, like you are so bold to just. So it's just another reason why. I feel like people get so angry with people of color because we're like advocating for ourselves, but it's like you take the smallest step to just make us feel othered. Like there was no reason for you to write a crappy review on someone's work, right? Yeah. And she's in the same space. You guys have the same platform, but you're so upset that the normative and the narrative is switching from just a white inclusivity of like, you talking about flowers, like, what? I, I think flowers are amazing, honestly. But, like, it's just so very, like, yeah. So, did you did you see some things that correlated to your experience? Um, I would say, like, she talks a lot about, like, um, fi- like, finding it being weird to be Asian American. Like, mm-hmm. you're not Black, you're not white. You can laugh with black people at white people and relate at a level to their racism, but then you feel uncomfortable because you know you also perpetuate anti-blackness. So she so she mentions that right when she's laughing at Richard um, Pryor, I think that's Pryor, yeah, Pryor, Richard Pryor, um, the comedian, and I was like, I definitely felt that. Um, and then I think also. I think being Asian American, there's just not a lot of, I think being Asian American and then being social justice oriented and wanting to talk about Asian American oppression, it's really weird, right? Because she talks about that too in this chapter. She's like, you told your whole life that Asian Americans got it together, right? You've been uh, essentially gaslit your whole entire experience to be like, Asian Americans are the best. They're next to white. They are the most successful minorities. They drive nice cars. They don't suffer from poverty. When in your own lived experience, it's different, right? Like if your family are refugees or if they come from a war-torn country like mine are, like you don't feel that privilege, right? And that's not to say that that we don't have certain levels of privileges in like the framework of like anti-Blackness, right? But white supremacy affects us to a certain degree, and it's not oppression Olympics, but it's more like 
this thing is happening here and this thing is affecting us just in a different dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like white supremacy. We're just seeing different sides of the cube, you know, but yeah. it's all on the same level. That doesn't mean it's like a ladder. Um, I feel like as a poet, it's hard to, as a woman, Asian American woman, it's really hard to talk about that because you're like, it's hard to find your voice in that, especially because you operate within a framework where it's just like the whole world doesn't believe that your suffering exists, you know? And I really appreciate that she puts that in text, like in the book, because I just didn't really ever think about how hard it was and how it affects my artistry. You know, I'm always self-questioning myself, like, should I even be talking about this? Am I the right person to talk about racial injustice? Like, do I have a, a footing in like political organizing? And I'm and I'm just starting to have to work through that and realize like that's a result of the model minority myth, right? Like that's a result of being gaslit by white supremacy telling me that my experiences are not real. Um, and I really appreciate her mentioning that in in this chapter. And I appreciate her being honest with her own journey as an artist um, and as a writer and trying to find her own voice because I just think it speaks to not even like Asian American writers, but just Asian Americans in general. Like, I think we're just trying to find what that voice is for us, mm-hmm. especially as a people group that doesn't have roots the way that other groups do like just given our history, but also cause like we are seen as like perpetual foreigners, you know? Like even though Asian people have been here since the 1800s, you know, building the railroad and dying to build the backbone of America in terms of like that railroad, people still see us as foreigners, right? Like when people see me, they still assume I'm from China, which first of all, I was born here. Second of all, I'm Vietnamese. So it's like, yeah. yeah so. I definitely relate to a lot of stuff she was saying, and I don't know, I think it's very necessary, especially because if we don't, I think if we don't learn about how white supremacy affects other ethnic groups um, outside of like black white frameworks, then we're not really gonna learn how to address it in other contexts, right? If we don't learn about white supremacy in context of anti-black racism and then like um colonialism and then like uh xenophobia like we're just not going to know how to address all sides of the cube or multifacetedness of white supremacy so i like that cube yeah um yeah and i think it's just like when we think about um it gives us when we think about learning about different perspectives, it gives us a better idea, right? We get a fuller picture. Same thing with white supremacy. That thing has been happening for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I think black people have been like, so against white supremacy for so long. It just sounds like, Oh, that's just a thing they experienced. It's like, nah, bro, you got some of this too. It just looks real different. It wasn't after y'all, but y'all didn't get this and y'all didn't have this. And this is what it still exists right now. And so, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's always white supremacy is able to exist because people feel like they have a stake in it, I guess. Right. And so 
if we keep educating people and letting people know, like, hey, your steak ain't really there, bro. Like, mm-hmm. if you go bring your steak with my steak and we all come together with our steaks over here, we can topple that. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a cohesive and it's more of a collective, like, this is ruining everyone's life. We need to stop that. Just like with white people who acknowledge and want to tear it down, they're like, even though I you know, have privileges and I benefit from this, I don't like it. I'm going to go take my steak from there and put it over here. The more people we can get on board with um, excavating the roots of white supremacy in all of our lives, the more we can actually get to the root of it and yeah. get out. Because just like with trees, you can't just chop a tree down and be like, oh, it's gone. No, no you got the roots. Yeah, and then and then like those roots got roots. You feel me? Yeah, like, the roots of white supremacy. The Constitution, yeah. of white supremacy. America is like from the inception. Oh, yes. Like so, we can't just be like, oh yeah, I remember that time you guys had slaves. That was really bad, and like that was that was evil. It's like nah, it's been many things. It's been many policies. It's been many powers that be that have made life not the American dream. Yep. Parentheses for that. Yep. But yeah. So yeah. again, like the first chapter, this was also a fire chapter. <laughs> if you want to become a part of our book club, please hit us up on Instagram. Lacey knows the handle. At Lyrical Assembly. <laughs> okay, so I also know the handle. I just was making sure. Also, you, know, <laughs> you can email us at me. You can email me at Lacey at Lyrical Opposition, which would be Lacey's. Mine is Ashley at Lyrical Opposition. Mm-hmm. And yeah, thanks for joining us again. We hope to see you next week for chapter three. Bye.